You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. Our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them. Do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. And let's get into today's episode. It gives me great pleasure to introduce to you our guest, Jill Castile. Did hey. I say that right? Castilla, like Castilla. Tortilla. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I always refer to my accent as being my excuse. Uh, but yeah, Jill, thank you so much for coming down. Uh, obviously, you're extremely busy, but we're coming, you know, we're on the back of uh, Christmas holidays. Uh, I'm sure it's been great for you to see family. I know just kind of following you on social media, you're a, a military family. It seems like kids are all over and it must be great to have everyone back for the holidays just to put some, you know, smiling faces, bums on the couches, sweats on and watch TV. Exactly. No, we, we got to have our daughter home. Our son just came back from a lawn deployment, got to spend some time with him and his wife. So yeah, yeah. it's so great to have everyone home. Yeah. So tell me about the military thing. Is that something that like, cause obviously your kids are in the military and that seems, you know, if anyone knows you or follows you, that's something that that's a, a huge part of your life. Um, you know, I think daughter's at the Navy, right? I did see yeah. she was, a, she was a, she a cheerleader as well. She is at the Naval Academy. Yeah, she's a junior. Great experience <laughs> being at the Army Navy game. Um, but where does that come from for you? Like, would you grow up in a, in a military family? I didn't grow up in a military family, but um, I enlisted when I was 19, and so it was really my gateway to be able to go to college and and really start a professional life. Um, and then my husband retired from the Army, so um, it's a huge part of our family's foundation and, and just the foundation of who I am professionally and, and personally in some respect. Yeah, it's really interesting for me seeing the difference in how the military is treated here compared to how they are in the UK. You know, I think mm. that when I was growing up, I'm 32, I think. Yeah, I'm 32. <laughs> it's been a long day. Uh, and, you know, like, you, you kind of grow up in that, you know, I was born in 1990, so you know, peak, a lot of my friends in high school were deploying and then going to Afghanistan, Iraq and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and then coming back. And, and you see the way that they're not treated with the same respect that they are here, which mm-hmm. is, it's tough. It's hard to see, right? Cause you're mm-hmm. putting, you know, you're putting your, your body on the line, right? You're willing to put yourself in front of, you know, everything for, for your country and, and everything back home. And it's, it's sad sometimes to see that. But when I come here, I'm like, man, he, they, they get all the stuff that they deserve, right? I mean, they're heroes. It doesn't matter what 
even if you were a cook in the military, you still get the the same response. Yeah, we haven't. You know, as a nation, we've we've had our situations like with the Vietnam veterans, mm-hmm. where we didn't treat them with a level of respect. I think we at least yeah. learned from it. And and as those uh, veterans have become parents and grandparents, they've really instilled a sense of respect for our military. Yeah. No matter if you agree with whatever conflict that the military is participating in, we still support our service members. Yeah. So growing up, then, are you born and raised here or out of state? Yeah, I was born and raised in Milwaukee. In okay. Eastern Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah. And I, so it's funny, I uh, was in college with a guy who was from there, and so I know how to say it properly. Oh, really? I was like, yeah. where are you from? <laughs> He's like, I explained it. That's uh, great. But yeah, it was, uh, that's the only reason I know how to, how to understand where he's from. But so, so growing up in, in, down there in, in, in a small town, rural, like, do you, what are your aspirations kind of growing up as a, as, a, as a young woman, as a young girl? Yeah, I really, I really can't see beyond my city limits. Mm-hmm. I was worked to the local grocery store and, and um, you know, hope to be able to go to college at some point in life. But that wasn't something that was a family expectation around me. Yeah. I, I was really uh, fortunate. I would carry groceries out for the local community banker, and she's the one that would always kind of nudge me as to, you know, have you applied to college, Jill? Where are you going after you graduate? And, and so she helped me see beyond um, yeah. Old County. Oh, wow. So who is that woman? Her name is Lurleen Mabry. She passed away um, several years ago, but her, two of her grandkids graduated from high school with me. So uh-huh. I had grown up with them and um, were in their classes. And they, were, of course, were planning to go to college. Uh-huh. But um, she was really the one encouraging me. Is that related to Mabry Bank? It is. Okay. So Scott, uh, yeah. who's now the CEO, and I graduated together. Wow. So Scott and CR were on the podcast last fall. Oh, how great. Um, so I grew up yeah. playing golf with them. Oh, so, great. Yeah, 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 so yeah. We, I was That's on the awesome. other side of the tracks than from where they lived. But um, yeah. but the family was a lot of what I model my family off of. And um, I, they were... Mabry Bank was Citizens Bank back mm-hmm. in the day. And so the fact that I get to lead Citizens Bank, yeah. different, you know, kind of um, not the same organization was really special to me. But uh, Miss Mabry stayed in touch with me throughout my career. Carlisle, um, who was the previous CEO, served on the board of the Federal Reserve when I was there. And they always, they always kept tags on me and yeah. always encouraged me. But that family is really what really helped me um, think about community banking before I even saw It's a Wonderful Life, kind of that um, George Bailey mystique of a community banker and what their social responsibility is for the people in the community. Um, And then how I've modeled my family too. just, um, you know, they have, I think, 16 or 17 family members working on the side of their bank. And so um, it's really, they really brought Omulgee along in Omulgee County. And now they really are leaders in Mm -hmm. Eastern Oklahoma and beyond. Yeah. That's such a small world, right? And it such really a small is. banking world now yes. as well. That's really mm-hmm. neat to have that experience. Mm-hmm. And also just to have that, you know, so many people I've interviewed in the past are fortunate to have that one person in their life, like a Miss Maybe that said, that really took care in a young person, right? That was coming up that, that necessarily that young person at the time probably didn't realize what was going on. They just got this older person that's kind of asking them questions. But when you look back, you're like, yeah, like that's a huge pivotal moment for me. And to her, I don't think it was anything more than just talking to someone right. as they carried her groceries out. And so um, it's amazing the difference you can make in someone's life mm-hmm. where from their perspective, it really was life changing. From yours, you were just being kind. So yeah. um, it's a reminder to all of us of the impact that you can make and yeah. in the most like least impactful situations. Right. And you mentioned playing golf. So you played golf in high school. I well. did play golf. Since I was a little bitty, so yeah. grew up playing golf, yes. Who gets you into golf? My dad. So I grew up okay. with a single dad. Um, he was intent on making my sister and I um, professional golfers when we grew up. So, yeah, um, yeah so we had a, a 
we had a little bit of land and we had a driving range in our backyard and um yeah, yeah it was it was a huge part of our lives we grew up without very much um uh financially mm-hmm. but my dad always would make it you know be on tradio to get us some golf clubs you know to try to get yeah. us um you know a lesson and and he was always hustling to try and make sure we had the best um that's we could awesome. get access to you from a golf perspective yeah so. that's i mean and then <laughs> looking on to now looking back like you know from then to now like so much golf like is done you know so much business is done on the golf course and especially in banking it's probably helped you a lot as well being a golfer as well that you understand that world or also sometimes are able to get out on the golf course when the because every banker wants to go play golf right for the most yeah, part yeah I haven't played in years so you, anyway. That's so you would have think to uh, that yeah. you would go into banking you begin to play golf all the time but um, I haven't played since my 40th birthday so that was yeah. 10 years ago so <laughs> <laughs> hey you're still, you still played up until then which is you know probably a lot more than, than some people getting into the industry because getting in the industry and trying to make a mark you can't spend all the time on the golf course and most people know the executives are the ones who do play spend a lot of time on the golf course like bruce if you're listening i know you play a lot of golf uh it's closed it doesn't want to work anymore so so like you said you enlist then as a way to pay for college at 19 where does that send you so I ended up going to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Okay. Um, and so I was a construction surveyor um, and um, was at Fort Leonard Wood for a, almost two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and then when I came back, I was going into the Oklahoma National Guard. Um, during that time, a family member had written checks on my account, and I was not very literate financially to know that I could have gone to the bank and said, hey, these are forgeries. Um, oh, wow. But I came back, and I didn't have any money. I thought I had, like, $15,000 that I could go to Oklahoma State and go to yeah. college. And um, and I came back, and I didn't have anything. And so I got one of those big college books and found a school in South Texas mm-hmm. um, that gave me a, a scholarship if I could make it down there. And so... Um, ended up yeah. trans- going down to Texas A&I in Kingsville, Texas. Um, and that's going into ROTC there. So yeah. met my husband first day and uh, and we became fast friends and turned out pretty well. So. Everything worked out. <laughs> it all worked at out. At the time, you're probably like, my world is falling apart. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's such a great lesson in life. When, you know, at the time, it was really hard to go through and there were some really dark times and periods of lost hope and and as an adult you're able to look back on them and make those time periods a little bit more um kind of sterilized and faster and so they don't seem as difficult but there's lots of things to learn from those moments where those pivots really without those without that family member doing that i wouldn't be doing what i'm doing today i would have been on a different path and have a different family and and so you look back on those times great blessings Mm -hmm. but when you're living in them they don't feel like it yeah you're like i'm going to the middle of nowhere texas right and like yeah Okay, this is what I, this is, okay, I have to do this, right? This is just the best option for me. I'm yeah, going. well, literally a trash bag. That's yeah. all I had and got kind of rides down there. Um, but it was, you know, the best thing that yeah. could have happened to me. And then, so at this point then is the goal, I'm going to college, then I will go into banking. Is that kind of coming around or is it not just, I'm just going to, you know, what was the, what was the idea then? No, I was a college? chemical engineering major oh, wow. and, um, yeah. and thought I was going to go into the army that mm-hmm. I would commission and be in the army full time. And then I met my husband and then he was a year ahead of me and he, 
received his orders to get to be stationed in Hawaii. And so then uh, we got married and moved to Hawaii. Yeah. I have plans to come back and finish my degree here and then um, ended up, you know, you're in Hawaii in your mid-20s on the government's time. And um, I got um, this experience working at a t-shirt shop. And my boss was like, you, you know, you're really good analytically, but you love people so much too. You should think about maybe business rather than engineering. And I'd already spent four years towards my engineering degree. So I went to a school, Hawaii Pacific University, and they gave me um, a lot of great transfer flexibility uh, with my engineering yeah. classes for a finance degree. And then during this time, my mom married into the family that owns part of Citizens Bank. So I started getting a little bit of understanding what mm-hmm. banking was about. And then this kind of allure of what Lurley Mabry meant to me. Um, then I started thinking more about a career in banking. When we yeah. got out of the military and came back to Oklahoma, I worked at Citizens for minimum wage in the bookkeeping department. And then went on to work at the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City um, and their management development program. So yeah. that's kind of, I thought I would be at the Fed forever is what my, my plan kind of it was yeah. so what so i i know one person who was also stationed in hawaii and he didn't enjoy it because he said we never got paid enough to do all of the cool things because everything was expensive <laughs> how was your experience working you know in the military in hawaii and studying I mean, I loved Hawaii. I still love Hawaii and can still do it on the cheap. So if anyone ever gives yeah. me that excuse, you need, you need to connect them with me. We had one of those entertainment books. I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember. They probably have those still sure. where it was like buy one, get one free. And all the beaches are free there. They can have a perception that they're gated off, but you have access to all the beaches. And we just spent so much time hiking and in, in nature yeah. and um you know, it was just a wonderful, we had our first child there. Um, it was super expensive, but we also lived very frugally, you know, growing up without very much, you knew how to live without very much. And so, um, but it was a wonderful, it was a great blessing to be on the Island. Um, it's very much like Oklahoma as far as the people are just so good and down to earth and, and just want to serve. Um, and, um, and the respect for the military is really high. And so it was just a great experience and we try to go back as much as we can. Yeah. I haven't been yet, um, but I've been told I've got to do a helicopter tour and do all of the stuff. And it's, I, I like golf is probably the only thing I'm generally athletically good at because I have two <laughs> left feet. I can't dance. I have no balance. So surfing's going to be a terrible. I hate the sea. Like so, I'm probably just going to go hiking and jump in a helicopter and hopefully play golf if I go to. Well, let I me go. connect you because I'll get you all the best golf courses <laughs> for the cheap amount of rate, cheapest rate. So for the yeah. local rate. Yes. Yeah, yes. That would be amazing because it does look like paradise. I think when we're recording the PGA tours in Hawaii, I think right now. Um, I think there are anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's it looks like paradise. Yeah, I got to watch the PGA Grand Slam of golf mm-hmm. there. We went to Kauai, and it was um, when um, Tiger won his first major. Oh, wow. And so going around with him and yeah. just the, the height um, of just the absolute Tiger frenzy um, in such a beautiful yeah. uh, community and, and people being so respectful of him and, you know, just golf is, is so integral to the community there. Um, and it's very accessible. And so, and you can play all the time. It's really great. So. Yeah. So, so then like I said, you, you kind of have your, your, your son and you move back to Oklahoma mm-hmm. and, you know, what, what was the decision to move back to Oklahoma? Is it because of having your son and having family here or was it because of career? 
Um, so my husband was finishing up his his army requirement, and um, we were looking about where we wanted to settle and raise a child. And he's from Texas and and had never lived in Oklahoma. And um, somehow I sold him on it. Um, he started to get his master's degree at in at OSU, and I'd already started my master's degree and through OU has a they have a program in Hawaii, and so that was that was the. The motivation was that we could do a graduate school here, and we thought we could get good jobs and then have a great place where we could raise our family. There's a reoccurring theme here of education in the first 15 minutes we've been speaking. <laughs> it seems extremely important to you. There's always something, you're always, it's not just, yeah, I got a job and then I'm in it. It's like, you know, you do an engineering and then you transfer to something else, and now you're, both of you, you and your husband, thinking about master's degrees. What, what's the emphasis on education for you? Once you understand that education is the, it's the avenue for economic mobility. I mean, that's really, we're so blessed here in the United States and, and the accessibility here in Oklahoma to, to be able to get to higher education in, a, in an easier way. Uh, once you get the taste of that and see, wow, this is feeding an intellectual curiosity, but it's also making me more marketable and that challenges I had financially in the past can be overcome yeah. by having this educational this educational outlook in the future that's positive and then to be able to create a different course for your family than what you inherited. Mm -hmm. And so um, and my philosophy for parenting is always trying, you're trying to create a better world for your kids to have access to mm -hmm. and that they also have to be able to appreciate that they have access to a better world than you, than you do. And education really facilitates that. Yeah. And so it's a, it's always been a priority for us. And then for our kids, this expectation that they will continue to elevate the game as they, um, they yeah. go through their lives. Yeah. You're like, Hey kids, I got you to here. I'm going to give you every opportunity to continue like growing the family and then pushing us as high as we can go. Right. That's well, really cool. And it always challenge, you know, if, if you're yeah. in your comfort zone, you need to have people around you that are, are causing you to go beyond that mm -hmm. and challenge your perspective and always grow so that you can, like I mentioned before, you, I can't see beyond the county lines of Old Mulgee. And yeah. so, so education allows you to see the world so much fuller and to be able to challenge your perspective so that you're not limited in your understanding and mm -hmm. that you can overcome biases and, and limitations in your thinking. Yeah. So coming back then, you're both doing graduate degrees, um, you know, at OU and OSU. Is the, is the plan between you guys, okay, like, let's get these graduate degrees and then we can really start something and move somewhere? No, I mean, I was working full time. Okay. And when I was going to school in Hawaii, I was taking 33 credit hours a semester while I worked full time. Wow. I mean, it's, so I probably didn't do um, education the most, um, the, mm -hmm. the best way where you could really soak in as much. So we were, it was, we had to support our family while we were going to school. Um, but it was all about adding to how we were contributing to our employ employer that we were with. I was with the Federal Reserve at that time, and I thought that was going to be the rest of my career, and I thought I would be here in Oklahoma City. Um, and for him, it's the same. He was wanting to get his master's degree and and um, and work here, yeah. which he ended up doing. So, what was appealing to you about the Federal Reserve? Oh, wow. So when we go through finance courses, I didn't know anything about the Federal Reserve right. growing up. Um, but there's not an institution, from my perspective, of higher integrity, uh, respect, um, intellectual um, rigor, but also this equality. Um, that was probably the 
the biggest thing I gained from the Fed was um, it didn't matter what color your skin was, what gender was. I mean, you were your idea was what was matter, how intellectually engaged you were, how willing you were to research and understand. Um, it's it's a, a very humble institution that that has so much power, but mm-hmm. yields it with with restraint. Um, I really loved it there. Yeah. And I was part of a program where you rotate around. And so you would get comfortable in a job. And then two years later, you would, they, as soon as you would get comfortable, you would be moved into another job. Mm-hmm. And it's just that constant challenge and being plopped into a new role in which you didn't know anything and had to quickly adjust yeah. and had to lean on other people to, in their expertise and gain their respect um, so that they could help you be successful. It was very um, stimulating mm-hmm. and and have great friends. I, I and I and I'm really lucky that I've been able to come full circle and still involved with the Fed. Yeah. So, you you mentioned that it's through through your mum's married new marriage, you have a connection to Citizens Bank, and you are sort of working there at the ground level as well. Mm-hmm. When do you then fall in love with you know small business community? And because I assume the Edmund community, you know, it's grown so much over the last ten years since I've been here, and and I kind of interested to know what it was like when you started and the people that you know because that downtown Edmonds it's pretty special right yes outside of the traffic it's special (laughs) (laughs) but it's a really cool kind of community and everyone knows each other and everyone's kind of you know like trying to further themselves and better the community as well it's got really really interesting sense of self-pride I think for the for the town the city so what, what was that time like when you were early on working down there and and how was that kind of shape, how did that shape then the future of what you do now? That's a great question. So um, working in downtown Edmond at Citizens Bank in the early 90s, uh, one of our board members was Hoot Gibson and Hoot um, had um, a calls men's store and women's store and children's store too across the street from the bank and was really the epicenter of economic activity in downtown Edmond. And Hoot started crazy days in downtown. He was just so entrepreneurial in both his business, but then helping the businesses around him be successful through these different initiatives and crazy days extended for decades longer. Um, That was really my first taste of seeing what a small business owner can do to really create waves that lift the boats of everyone around him that really raises the tide. Um, At the Fed, there's a lot of interest in financial literacy and then the contributions to um, the economy with small businesses. And so you get a very quick appreciation for, I mean, America's workforce is a small business workforce. It is the engine and it's all this diversity of these wonderful businesses that allow the economy to happen. And so I really became aware of that probably became really uh, confronted me when I transitioned from the Fed and went to a bank in northern Minnesota. And I was the first, I, I didn't know anybody in this in this town except for one person that I went to school with. I was a 10,000-person town, very similar to rural Oklahoma. And you could see, too, that the, even though there was a large, um, there was a large um, paper uh, manufacturer in the, the community, the real strength of community, the backbone of it was all these small businesses and the ones that were running UNIOA campaigns and that were supporting the Chamber of Commerce. It was all these small business owners coming together. And you could quickly infiltrate a community and, be, and become part of the leadership framework by getting to know these small businesses. Yeah. And so um, I think that's why I carry back with me to, to Edmond and seeing um, the potential that who had started in um, downtown Edmond and a kind of dampened a little bit when I came yeah. back 
back and to be able to be part of that resurgence is really incredible. Yeah, it's cool to see. And I know there's so much going on with local artwork and you know, Visit Edmund do a great job and, and Jennifer Seaton's doing as best she can there with the whole team that they work with. And there's so many cool things going on, right? Like you think it's such a small quote, such a small like downtown footprint, but the city's footprint is growing and growing and obviously the new development's coming in and, you know, it's it's exciting, right? It's amazing. So when I came back to Citizens, the bank was in trouble. Mm. And so once we orchestrated the turnaround, the bank had six branches and we decided to consolidate all to one. And we had been on the same intersection, downtown Emma, for 120 years. So we yeah. chose to stay, come back there. Um, and then you're like, wow, if we're going to make this our home, like mm-hmm. the community, it needs to be, a, a, we have to make this place. Yeah. And so that's really where we were able to partner. The arts is such an economic engine. Um, that's where we were able to start um, street festivals and different collaborations with others that are have great um, events that they've started to really spur economic activity in downtown mm-hmm. Edmond and turn it into what yeah. it is today. So is that where Herd on Herd comes in then? Yeah, Herd on Herd was, there was some really great ideas all around both Oklahoma and beyond. Mm-hmm. So H and Eighth had just started and mm-hmm. was the biggest um, food yeah. truck festival in the nation. Um, the downtown pop up shops over the holidays that Alison Barty Bailey mm-hmm. did, um, and then there was a bank in, in Michigan that started off a summer concert series. And so we thought, well, maybe we confuse these three things. And my board reluctantly agreed. Yeah. I'm so fortunate that we started Herd on Herd. So just have local food trucks, local yeah. shopping, and then local. Um, musical acts to start him in downtown Edmond. We were hoping 500 people showed up. First one, 3,000 did. We couldn't get um, we couldn't get food trucks in Edmond because the perception was that Edmondites wanted to eat indoors and air conditioning. And so whenever they sold out that first herd on herd, we were able to see really the potential of having this event in downtown. And it really just transformed the feelings there, playing off the already present um, art that we have in downtown. Uh, from Evan Arts Institute yeah. to the, uh, the Farm Institute to the actual physical pieces that we have in downtown. It was just the perfect marriage. And there were so many people that supported us and cleared the way for that to, to happen. So. Yeah. Well, and I remember going, and the first time I went to one, it was very hot. Uh, <laughs> but it, it was kind of like the peak kind of, it, it was the peak kind of, phase where food trucks were becoming a thing in, in Oklahoma City, right? And Edmund, and it was like, oh, like this. And I remember Saucy Sicilian, they're great friends of mine now. Yes. But at the time, that was the first time I'd ever had it, was at Herd on Herd. And I just remember like seeing this line. I'm like, it can't be worth that long, really? <laughs> All right, we'll try it. And I think the other one was like a waffle place, chicken and waffles, which yes. is also incredible. Um, I was like, all right, we'll, we'll go, let's go pizza and we'll try it. And, you know, I meet Gannon and Nona and Andrew yes. and the whole team. But that was the first, it was like Herd on Herd was the first time. And then there's live music and you're like, okay, bring a chair and just kind of hang out. And yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a good experience. I was in college at the time. It was a great experience. We had well, a great that's time. so great to hear. Yeah. yeah. And if you love small businesses, there's just nothing like mm-hmm. food trucks and pop-up shops because they're just, yeah. I mean, they're experimenting, they're right. You know, the guy making the pizza and that came up with the concept is interacting directly with the public and, yeah. and they've been just such wonderful supporters. Um, and it's been fun to watch these small businesses go from a, a food truck to a storefront mm-hmm. or multiple food trucks or concepts 
jobs. Um, it's just been really extraordinary. But that spirit really, I think, yeah. feeds this the entrepreneurial spirit that we have at the bank, um, being a small bank yeah. um, owned by the employees. I mean, we're trying to hustle like the just these small businesses are. So you yeah. learn a lot from them and feed off that energy. And I think it makes the event really special. Yeah. During this time with the bank, then what 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 um, personally is your is your kind of life like at the time? Like, how is your career going? And, and obviously, you know, you have other kids as well. So what is that kind of time like with with on the personal side and family side? So it was really um, the first few years were really rough. Um, I walked into the bank and it was the worst performing bank in the state and banks get raided and we were the worst that you could be. And it was near failure. Um, there was a, a public record of what everything that happened there and it was really disheartening. Um, and so trying to, the bank is owned primarily by the employees through, through their retirement plan. Mm-hmm. And so trying to turn the bank around um, while still maintaining this ownership structure and, and our community engagement that the bank had been known for. Um, my kids, I would take to work with me at 6 a.m., then take them to school, pick them up, and they would stay with me till midnight. And they remember highlighting GLs and doing really boring things um, whenever they're just very, very young. Um, but as a result, they really feel own, like they own part of the bank, even though they don't um, own natural shares. Um, it's very much part, an extension of our family. And, and so is the team there, the team that we went through those kind of battle to save the bank. Um, they're like our family. And, yeah. um, and so um, it's just this gigantic mashup between our personal life and the bank. And, and um, there's not a lot of lines. There's not definitely not any balance. Um, it's, it's so much a part mm-hmm. of who our family is. And then our family has been so engaged with the bank that I think that the bank embraces it as well. Yeah. It's interesting, like, when, when, you, when you come into, you know, like I said, the bank is the worst rated bank in the state. And, you know, you're, you, like, you could have probably gone anywhere else, Right. Like why I'm interested in like why are you taking that challenge? Like why are you thinking? You know what? Yeah, I, I want to do this. This is the worst bank, worst bank in the state. But you know what? We're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna take this challenge and we're gonna do this. It's gonna be hard, but I want to do it rather than you know I could get a job anywhere else because I now have a master's degree and you know we we have all that stuff as well. Yeah, so I was really lucky. My uh, old boss in, in Minnesota held my job open for me. Yeah, and it was never uh, a thought to think about turning away from this challenge. Um, I knew how precious this bank, despite Edmund having 60 banks Mm -hmm. in town, I knew how precious Citizens Bank was to the community, just like Citizens Bank was to me Mm -hmm. in Old Mulgee. Um, My stepfather and his family had a legacy of being very humble servants to the community. Um, And um, I knew that there was all that social capital that potentially could be walked away from, that there's... Mm -hmm. We get calls from principals that say um, that they have kids that have negative lunch account uh, balances. And for years, uh, the bank has swooped in and filled those accounts without, you know, a press release being yeah. put out. I mean, it's it's the first person, it's the first entity called uh, when the community's in trouble. Mm-hmm. Even when the bank was in trouble, it was, it was an expectation that we still do this. The board also was... Um, not a traditional bank board. These were not big time shareholders in the bank. They were community leaders in Edmond that again cared about yeah. whether this bank survived or not. And when people would call me, 
usually if a bank's in trouble, they want to know if their money's safe, which certainly people did call about that. But mainly they were calling because they didn't want to lose Citizens Bank of Edmond yeah. in our community. And I don't think that, I think that's a rarity in this world that you have that much yeah. care for a, an organization, especially a bank. Um, and I just felt like it was, I was called to do this job. I mean, I really did feel like that. And I really didn't have a title that accompanied what my responsibilities were. Um, I cared for my the legacy of my my stepfather's family, just thinking about the Mabrys and how important they were to the fabric of the community where I came from, uh, to be able to kind of have the opportunity to carry that forward. Um, it was really special. Yeah. So um, really hard and emotional, but also really special. Yeah. And like you said, back to, you know, you said a few times, like it's family, right? The blurred lines, it's not work and family. It's it's just kind of blurred lines of both. And you, you know, your, your kids have grown up around this mm -hmm. whole community and the community's grown up with your kids, right? Like it's kind of really neat to see that and to have that impact. Uh, when, so when you do get to the bank to being successful, you know, and it, it's, it's moving in the right direction, how many job offers did you had? Because I'm sure everyone's keeping an eye on you in the banking industry. Like, wow, like this whole team has turned this place around. Like it's being led by, you know, you and others. Like how, was, <laughs> did people come to you and say, hey, we got a great opportunity and a competitive salary. Do you want to jump ship and come join us instead? Well, I'm in a really, just an incredible spot where I get to choose where I want to be. And I know that I could choose somewhere else, but it's never been, it's never been on the table for me. I choose to be here. And, um, and that, that freedom um, really allows you to have a lot of creativity whenever you're saying, like, I'm choosing to be here. Um, and knowing that there might be better economics to go somewhere else, but that what this, this feeds my soul and that yeah. the impact that I can make in this role and, and the credibility around the organization far exceeds even if I, if you may be the CEO of Chase. You know, it's, I get to be frontline, sitting in the lobby, get to know our customer stories, see if there's anxiety in their eyes and if there is rush out and be able to, to figure out how I can make that anxiety go away. Or if it's our community, like during COVID to be able to activate and help our community, but even help the nation at, yeah. overall, because you're, you're able to see firsthand what's yeah. needed to, to what aid is needed immediately. And, um, I really do feel like I'm I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's sort of a perfect transition into the COVID situation and what that did for small businesses, but also kind of what you did. And, and you kind of had the, the spotlight on you for a little bit, right? You had a little bit of interaction with, was it Mark? I know nothing about banking, but I did see you and Mark Cuban like tweeting each other or whatever it was. <laughs> but I'm interested to know your side of things on, on, I'm not surprised listening now to your story and everything you've done to have heard, you know, hey, Jill kind of did a lot of work during COVID for small businesses because everything we've talked about makes total sense now that that's the person you are. You're going to take on every challenge. And regardless of it's, you know, you're not doing it for personal wealth and personal gain. You're doing this because it's the right thing to do. So I'm interested in how, like, you know, how that was for you during COVID to see all these small businesses having to shut down or doing this. And, and Edmund, I think as a city was, was it a bit more strict than most places as well? Looking I, th back um, or I not? think we were later shutting yeah. things down, but I think some businesses were choosing. I really owe it to the tower theater. Okay. Um, they, um, they saw things really early on because acts started canceling on them. Mm. And so they brought us in before we knew what social distancing really was. And before yeah. masks, um, before things shut down, we had this meeting about 
they thought that this was going to be bad. And, um, and so I, my response was like, if this is going to be bad, what would you need? And so they were able to kind of spell out what they would need. And then I was able to kind of, with our team, put together like, this is what Package America kind of needs and start, start either, yeah. I mean, we did op-eds, we started tweeting out, we went to the highest levels of government and really just um, were basically like, don't make me come to Washington and burn this down. <laughs> like it was, it was so much yeah. like confidence because we knew, we knew what needed to be done. And, mm-hmm. and it really, what we were outlining was the really what PVP ended up being. And uh, that authentic interaction, I love social media because you're able to really get in front of people. It's kind of like being in the lobby. You're able to, you could see the angst of some of the urban center, small businesses and like, wow, this is beyond just what we're considering here in Oklahoma mm-hmm. city. Well beyond like any shutdowns. And that's really what caught the attention of, Really, the the financial technology community, um, whenever there was the first stimulus package that was coming out to Americans, so these were checks going out to Americans, um, Mark Cuban tweeted out that he wanted to partner with an FDIC-insured bank, and the entire financial technology community on Twitter was like, Jill, 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 (laughs) and my phone started blowing up. And so I, like, texted him or tweeted out my cell phone number, and I didn't get a response from Cuban, and then someone gave me his email, and I pitched him via email. And so then we pitched, I mean, we ended up collaborating in something within just a few days to get a model so that Americans could get stimulus checks faster, not just our customers, but everybody. Mm -hmm. And then when PPP started happening and the forgiveness tool, then that's where we partnered again. Um, and it, what was incredible about the Mark Cuban situation is that there wasn't a PR person or an assistant I was working with. It was Cuban. Yeah. And I had been criticized previously about being really present and that you, you're wasting time if you respond to every email or if you take every meeting. But to see him in this mode, he was taking every meeting. He was hundreds of emails that I would get yeah. pushed to me from him. Like, can you look at this? Can you look at that? It was really incredible to see someone that was able to be altruistic while being capital by by not not absolving any kind of capitalistic tendencies. But yeah. he um he I asked him to pay for this website. I, I didn't ask him for anything, and I asked if he could pay for this particular website we were having for P- the Paycheck Protection Forgiveness Program. And he just said, "Hey, hey, Ralph, send Jill our user ID and password for our AWS account." I mean, he was he didn't care yeah. about how much it was going to cost him. Um, he just needed to do the right thing. And we um, use, um, we, my family and I watched Frozen 2 during that time period. And it was Frozen 2, the theme is to do the next right thing. And here you have this huge challenge of COVID. And you really, there's no way anyone could say that this is how we're going to tackle all of it. Mm-hmm. And so that really became the theme for the bank was let's just do the next right thing that we see in front of us. And let's advocate for that yeah. and just keep going, kind of eating that elephant one bite at a time. Um, and that's really what got us through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's having that interaction on a business level and seeing Mark Cuban basically in his element, right? Like you're seeing what's made him and why he is as successful as he is. I can't help but, you know, learn so much from that and think I could probably do more with my life, right? Like yes. it's kind of the same feeling I get when I interview guests like you and others, like like I should probably take on a few more things. Like I you only get one shot at it, quote, you know, as much as we know, we only get one life. Like mm-hmm. Like, why am I sitting around, you know, watching Netflix? Like, I should do a bit more work every now and well, then. Well, th- I think I think that that's good to watch Netflix because it's giving you kind of letting your mind work. Because what I learned about him was that he's so hyper focused and present 
in one topic and he does everything for that one thing right now it's pharmaceuticals he's totally focused on that yeah. and for us it was COVID and relief for small businesses and then it turned to the MBA mm-hmm. and you see that how important it is to be authentically present whenever you're engaged in something yeah. and to really learn and if you're not passionate about it mm-hmm. then you need to move on to something else or let someone else take care of it and then not be driven by your ego like you're not trying to get yourself in front of something it's the cause that you're that you're that you're passionate about not getting yourself out there yeah so i mean it's great to have that and you probably never thought that this would ever happen right like i never thought that i'd be like you know working together with with someone of mark cuban's caliber or business what stature or whatever you want to call it and it was basically like a shark tank pitch i pitched him (laughs) on two different things and going back and forth i mean there's probably not anybody that's ever like intellectually challenged me as much as those interactions um so one thing I want to touch on that, that I don't think we've talked about uh, is that, is there anyone now that, that you are being like the Miss Maybe to someone? Is there anyone in the community that, that all of these lessons you've learned that you are in a position now where you're bringing other people up and it, it might just be employees or, and, and if there is, like, how do you go about doing that? Because it's different to be um, present and different to be, you know, a friend and a, a, a resource to someone who is a, either a client at the bank or they might be you know a friend's daughter or son but it's you know in a, in a just a community way but it's different when that person is hey i think you should become this it's different in like an employment or a uh what the right way a career conversation right so i'm interested in how now after all of the stuff that we've spoken about and how miss maybe was to you and others have been around and helped you to where you are how do you give back how do you become that person and give back to others yeah, I think so much of it is we, you have to be vulnerable and share your story. And I was reluctant to do that until about eight years ago. And so as I've shared my story, which has, you know, time periods like we talked about that were quite dark and being able to rebound from them, that's really connected me with others that have, especially students that are going in, they're in that, the darkness right now, where they've had a family member betray them and then be able to be a resource for them. There's one young lady that works for our team right now, but I shared our story um, at UCO uh, for, and one of their leadership development courses, she came up to me afterwards. She's like, I'm enlisted in the National Guard. I had this situation with a family member is very similar. And so we had that, we talked a little bit. And then I later saw her, I served as civilian aide to the Secretary of the Army, and I was overseeing the commissioning ceremony at UCO ROTC. And this young lady is there, and she says, like, she's waiting for her OBC class, her basic course, to be a military intelligence officer. And but she's waitressing right now. I'm like, no, you need to come work for me. (laughs) (laughs) Why why are you waitressing? And so like to be able to kind of work with her every day. I think what the beauty with Miss Mary was is it wasn't, it wasn't like a a nonprofit that she was a part of. I mean, she was a part of a lot of them that made the difference, but it was being that person like in every instance that you're really listening to someone. And if there's some wisdom that you could impart, then you do. Um, But it's being and making sure that you're not in an ivory tower, separating yourself out from the rest of your community. You have to be knee deep in the community, whether it's the small businesses and mentoring them, or if it's the young lady who happens to attend a a, a connection with a story because you're sharing it, it's being like authentically engaged. Um, I talk about kind of being the grocery store aisle, like that you're present and you're seeing what's 
if someone's suffering or someone's anxious. And then social media allows you to have that too, where you can have, be an influence and engager with people from all over the, the world that, um, that maybe you're, you know, commenting on something or engaging in some way. And hopefully it's having some type of positive impact and that you're responding when you get those DMs or you're getting the, the LinkedIn messages and, and having those engagements rather than being standoffish or, or saying I've achieved this level. And so I'm not paying attention anymore. You, yeah. I mean, you have to stay humble. One of my favorite sayings is my ego is not my amigo. And so you, when you get the greatest blessings in life, it's when you're the most humble and when you're yeah. the most present and whenever, you know, like interacting with that young lady, she may be getting something from me, but I'm going to get tenfold from her mm -hmm. in this interaction. It's going to remind me of things I've overcome and it's going to affirm yeah. that, wow, things have turned out really well. And, and whenever you're, you're heading a dark place and you, after you're later kind of mm -hmm. down the life, you can remember those interactions and going, wow, um, yeah. there's a lot there to, to be responsible for um, because you've been blessed with a lot. Yeah. I think sometimes as well, you kind of wish people would ask ask more questions, right? Because I think when, when you look at, and when I think of myself, when I am 18 to 24 years old, I think I was just a little insecure and I wouldn't ask the right questions. I think part of it still today, I don't ask enough questions. But, you know, when, when you're in that early stages, right, you're young, you're like, oh, I, I might, I, you know, I'm scared to reach out. I'm scared to send that, that, that LinkedIn message because, well, and I think it just happens when you get older, you just, you just don't, you, you're... Um, your care meter, I'm not going to cuss because I was going to say you'll give a whatever meter. But <laughs> that's what I'm thinking, right? You just don't have it anymore, right? And that's when the older you get, you always see your grandparents, they just don't care, right? They don't care what anyone else thinks of them. And I think as, as we age, it gets better, but I wish like there was like something every kid could take, you know, there's just like a courage pill or something. It was like, yes. send as many messages or DMs or whatever from, you know, from 16 to to 21 or 24 and find out, you know, you never know what could happen. You could send you a message and you'll say, yeah, tell me a story. Let's sit down, come to the bank and you could end up being a, you know, working or whatever it is. You never know, but that's right. it's, it's easier looking back, you it's know, for sure. Especially with like FaceTime and, and zoom. I mean, you can, you can get five or 10 minutes with just about anybody. Yeah. And so to be able to ask for that. And um, I always put it out there whenever I'm speaking, especially here locally, you know, come and have coffee with me or drop by downtown M and I'm always there. Here's my cell phone number. And it, very few people do reach out. And so you're having, you know, that person, that professional courage and kind of professional, per, that personal courage to try to meet someone that you haven't met before or that you think is, uh, beyond your reach. Yeah, Cause yeah. I think the perception whenever you're younger, I still have it with a lot of my heroes is that they wouldn't, you know, they don't have time to talk to someone like me whenever, yeah. in fact, they, they really have, um, they get a lot of value from having those interactions. Mm -hmm. And so definitely put forth that ever. So yeah. you definitely should do, you should definitely reach out to people. Finishing up then I got, I will ask you a few quick fire questions, oh, gosh. but <laughs> I do want to know what it is like being a mother, being a parent, going to that army Navy game, you know, like, you know, as a, you know, with, with everything you have ties to your family, being in the military and then your daughter's on the field. I mean, that game is probably one of the most watched games of the year other than the Super Bowl, right? I think everyone would like to be there. Everyone sees everyone in the stands in their uniform. And there's one thing my granddad said, my granddad was in the military back home. And every time I ask him, tell me about the Americans, I will say something, he was a military policeman and he would always say, and, and still says that it was, he always says that it's their, 
their uniforms. You go, oh, I wish we had uniforms like that. They looked <laughs> so good in their uniforms. And then you see the Army-Navy game and they're all out there dressed up and it's it's empowering, right? It's pretty awesome to see it. But what is it like being there and seeing that and having family ties to that game as well. Yeah, so our oldest son graduated from West Point, daughter's at the Naval Academy, youngest son just got an appointment to West Point. And so, um, you know, before we were all Army, and then now our daughter, you know, being a Navy cheerleader yeah. is um, pretty militant about um, us cheering for Navy. But it's, the game itself is something, if every American could be able to go to it, um, it'd be so beneficial because you see these great rivals that are in the stands that are all they're doing is is um, enjoying their time together. Even though you may be given a hard time to your rival, um, it's not at all like any other college football game that you would go to where you have these fierce rivals mm-hmm. because they're brothers and sisters in arms, but they're... Um, but there's this one game uh, you're competing and the, the football is usually pretty terrible. Um, but the, the pomp and circumstance of it, the formality, um, the patriotism, it just, it just reeks from every, from the time you park your car to the very last singing of the alma maters by the two schools. Yeah. The whole experience is, is truly uh, the best of America. That's awesome. So, quick fire to finish up. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite movie? Uh, I would say um, tie between the Shawshank Redemption and Elf. Okay, two very different movies. <laughs> very different movies. <laughs> uh, who was your, I guess, um, high school favorite band growing up? Um, <laughs> so, I would probably say um, it, I grew up with a lot of you know classic rap. So, okay. Uh, what is your uh, go-to comfort food? Um, so I have peanut butter. Okay. Uh, are you reading anything right now? Um, so I'm reading The Gene. Okay, what is that? Um, it's amazing. Um, it's a story by, and I can't pronounce the doctor's last name, but he um, he's a professor at Columbia, but he talks about his family's history of mental illness okay. and the history of genes and um so I'm reading that with our with my son. Yeah, and then finally, uh, what is your guilty pleasure? Well, we talk about Netflix series, so I'll um, I'll I'll skip over that one. I would say video games. So old school video games yeah. are um, that's definitely my guilty pleasure. I. Sonic and stuff like that. So Heroes of Mike and Magic Three, (laughs) and then and then Civilization Two. So turn-based strategy games. It's super boring, but kind of mindless games. But that's kind of my guilty pleasure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming down. Uh, For people listening, I'll put uh, a link to I guess a connect how they can connect with you in the description. They can reach out. If there's anyone listening to this that's like I should ask more questions and I want to speak to. well, I'll be honest, a badass. Uh, they should reach out to you. So, <laughs> Thank you. Well, I would love for them to come by or give me a call. Awesome. And personal shout out. I, I bank with you guys and you guys are great. Uh, my personal, um, my podcast account, my business account is with you guys, has been with you guys since day one and it's a blast. So Appreciate um, it. if anyone is wanting to get with a good bank, Citizens Bank in Edmond is the one to go to. So uh, kind. But thank you so much for coming down. Really appreciate you taking some time out. Thank and you. Uh, for people listening, we'll catch you next episode. Cheers. 
Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at OklahomaHOF. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor they do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in oklahoma they're a huge supporter of oklahoma and without their support we wouldn't be able to do what we do our third sponsor is diffie ford lincoln down in el reno now this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine um play a lot of golf together i've bought my cars from them do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, diffieford.net, and then on Instagram at diffiefordlincoln. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.